Well, I have had the request from some of the newer Christians <clears throat> if we could have a testimony of an older Christian. And uh, I had already been thinking along that line, and so I don't think you're the oldest Christian, but you're an older Christian. <laughs> so Jim, if you would come up and share with us. Uh, it's good to hear how God has been faithful not for one year or two years, but for a long time. So come up. And we thank God for Jim. <clears throat> when you get old, a couple of things happen. Um, one of which is you forget some details of some of the things that transpired. I haven't forgotten any of the details of the Lord working in my life. But some of the things surrounding that I have, uh, it grows a little vaguer as the days move on. And so I, I put a few notes down last night just to kind of refresh my memory. But in doing so, <clears throat> I... Um, it was really a, a good reminder. Um, there's a, um, a song that we sing, and we're not, I'm not going to sing it to you, so <laughs> just, just relax. <laughs> um, but I was, I, I think this is. Um, a song that would just uh, be one that would kind of exemplify where I came from. <clears throat> it says, He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He puts a song in my soul today. A song of praise. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Why don't we pray? Father, we're so grateful for the grace of God in our lives. <clears throat> and so, Lord, as I um, share about how you worked in my life, I pray you would receive glory from this testimony. It's going to be a wonderful day, <clears throat> Lord, when we are gathered and you're going to hold up those trophies of grace and you're going to have the story of how you, you won this heart and you won that heart. It's not about what we've done, it's about what you've done. And this is your story. And <clears throat> just pray it help me to share this portion of your story of how you've intervened in the affairs of men and saved lives. Amen. 
interesting. Is Billy here? Um, we had a conversation after small group about emotions. <laughs> she thought I was uh, saying that uh, emotions, you don't, you shouldn't show your emotions. I said, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I kind of blubber sometimes. <clears throat> For some of you, I'm not going to go all the way back, but I am going to go back 40 years. Uh, so that would be 1970. And for some of you younger ones, that was way before your time. So let me give you a little historical context. <clears throat> Woodstock was 1969. Okay, um, So the hippie movement was in full force in the late 60s and the early 70s. <clears throat> I wasn't at Woodstock. I was in some other countryside tromping through the jungles of Vietnam. And I got out of Vietnam in 1970. And I got out of the military in 1970. And I had a, there was a number of people that were really close friends of mine. And um, when I got out of Vietnam, I got a job uh, working at one of the copper mines. I used to work there when I was in school. During the summer times, they'd hire some of the university students to work summers, and I had done that. And so I got a job, and I <clears throat> uh, had some friends that we all, we did a lot of things together. And we all had jobs, as far as I know. And... Um, but we would always get together. And so we had this uh, idea that wouldn't this be nice to just be able to, uh, we all together anyway, and we could save money, and we'll just get this big house, and we'll all live in this big house, kind of a communal type of thing. And so we did that. And uh, uh, there were a number of us that were living in this big house. <clears throat> And we had an acquaintance. I wouldn't actually say a friend. It was a friend of one of the guys living in the house. And um, he knew of a guy who was a professing Christian that needed a place to stay. And so, of course, we were the love generation. So we wanted to extend our openness to him and invited him to... <clears throat> stay, have a place to crash. So he came and um, he began sharing with some of the people in the house. And that didn't go over well with some of the other people in the house. And he, he asked, he started talking about a book on prophecy. I won't mention the book, but I don't want you to go out and get it because it wasn't a very good book. <laughs> but I just would say this, that... Um, in that book, the thought of Christ returning and people having to be accountable to Christ when he returns, that seed was planted. And <clears throat> it was a short time. I don't know how long we were living in that house. I was talking to Terry about it last night because my memory gets a little fuzzy. But <clears throat> there were... Uh, Terry and uh, my best friend, who still is my best friend in Arizona. We were high school buddies, and when we, Terry and I go out there, we get with he and his wife 
they were part of that group, and those three particularly were converted during that time. <clears throat> um, don't know all of the details on everything there, but they they were converted. But in that time, there was some still some residual sin hanging on, and the house that we lived in was kind of a central focal point for a lot of activity of people that we knew, just kind of uh, doing the kind of the drug scene back in the those days, and they would come over to our house, and and that type of activity was taking place but one of the things that was happening is more and more people were doing that and one evening in particular one of the people in the house had invited some others that we didn't know and was a bunch of bikers that came in and they were pretty rough guys and um, things got a little bit out of hand that evening and so Bill and I had made the decision with some others that we just need to clean up this this house. If people want to come over stoned and hang out, that's fine, but no more drugs in the house. So we just decided that's what we were going to do. So we did that. And shortly thereafter, the crowd began to diminish. And uh, there wasn't that many people hanging around because there wasn't the, the drug uh, accessibility and uh, uh, place to actually use it. So um, it was a short time after that happened that this whole house broke up and people went different ways. And I lived in a, in a few different uh, places. And I was, going, I was attending the University of Arizona <clears throat> at the time. And um, a friend of mine had... Um, had known of somebody who had a house that was outside of the city. It was out in the desert, uh, ways out. And they were looking for, they had been vandalized because it was out there by itself. But they had a guest house behind that house, a little one-bedroom house. And so they said that somebody could live there for free if they'd just make sure they're there in the evenings to kind of keep down the vandalizing. I thought, well... As a student, that sounded like a pretty good deal, a place to live, no rent, uh, be able to be quiet. and So I moved out there. And it was I would say that that was the time where God really began to, to work in me, to stir some things in me. Um, I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't even seeking God, really, at that point. But I was ensnared with a sin... And one of the, um, there's a couple of things that really were ensnaring me. One was a particular sin that I was in bondage to, and I'm not going to go into the details of that. But um, it was something that had a hold on me. And I I thought of uh, this verse um, about he who's a slave, who commits sin is a slave of sin. And it was one of those things that um, you dabble in thinking you're in control. And before long, what you see happen is it's the tables are turned. You're no longer in control. It's in control of you. 
and now you are the slave. You thought you were the master, but the way sin works is you begin thinking you're the master, and then you become the slave, and it's a cruel taskmaster. And so that that was a sin I was particularly involved with. Another thing that was a a real issue for me. I knew I knew what it sounded right what Terry and Bill and some of the other Christians were saying. It sounded right, but I had this fear of man. I wanted certain people to approve of me. And I knew I knew enough to know that if I made that commitment, it was also going to have to cut some things off. And I wasn't willing to do that. And I thought of this verse in John 5 where the Lord says, How can you believe when you seek glory from another and not seek the glory from God? So it's that idea of wanting men to approve of you, certain men. And so you you hold on to that, and uh, you can't believe. It's a hindrance to your believing God for anything in your life when you want men to think highly of you. It's a stumbling block. And as long as that a, has a hold on you, you're going to have a diff- You're not going to get through to God. You have to you have to be it to the place where you want God's approval in your life. Well, anyway, I was out there and I it, it dawned on me that this sin had a a strong hold on my life, and I couldn't part with it. And I remember one evening I was I was about 25 when I was living in that house, <clears throat> and I I was on my bed and I had just had just had come to the realization, this sin is wrong. This is a wrong thing to be involved in. And I want to break from it. And I've tried to break from it. And I can't break from it. And I remember as a 25-year-old young man on my bed bawling and saying, God, I, I don't even know whether you're real. But if you are, would you break the power of this thing? And the thing that I saw, it was a, I think it was a, a genuine cry for help. Even though I wasn't saying some prayer, I wasn't asking God to come into my life, it was a cry for help, desperation. And in the next days that followed, and weeks that followed, what I saw was the power of that sin was broken. And I was I was really set free from that particular sin. And it had a tremendous impact on my life. Because even later, I look back, before I was converted, I look back and I realized God had delivered me. And it was God that had delivered me from that sin. Oh. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> as time went on, the next few months... <clears throat> um, Terry and myself were really good friends. She was living somewhere else, and I was out in the desert area. And 
and um, my friend, another, my friend in Arizona, we were all going to go on a camping trip to um, Canada. And so we planned to do that over Memorial Day, on, and this is in 1973. And we went up there, and we met some people up there. And in the process, um, we had this desire to want to immigrate to Canada. <clears throat> now, I wasn't running from the draft. I had already been there. Uh, this was just, a, it was beautiful, and I wanted to, to go up there. And so I graduated from the University of Arizona in 1973. It was December. And I decided what I was going to do is I was going to, right after graduation, I was going to go up to Canada, which I did, and I stayed with these friends that we had met. And I spent about a week looking for work because if you had a job lined up, it was much easier to immigrate. <clears throat> and so I, I went up there. The, the thing was is God had really been begun dealing with me from that time of May of 73 to December of 73, because I remember, I wasn't a Christian, but I remember asking, praying, God, I want to do your will in my life. And if this isn't your will for me to move to Canada, I want you to shut all the doors. Well, all the doors were shut. And I came back just like a whipped pup. I mean, I was discouraged and downcast. And at that time, Terry had moved into this place called Maranatha House. <clears throat> Maranatha House was uh, affiliated with a pretty good-sized church in Tucson. And they took in a lot of street people. Back in those days, there were a lot of young people that had run away from home. And they would hang out in the parks, just living off on the street and in the parks. In Tucson, you can do that. It doesn't get down real cold in the wintertime. And so... Um, they they had a dormitory in this Maranatha house, a, a boys' dorm and a girls' dorm, and they need they had young men to live in the the girls in the boys' dorm, but they didn't have any um, young ladies to live in the girls' dorm that seemed to have any kind of stability. All of them were young, and a lot of them were still on drugs or coming off of drugs, and so <clears throat> what um, they did is ask Terry to to live in the dorm there and help supervise. Well, I got back, and I just called her, and she wanted to know about my trip and everything. So we, we talked, and <clears throat> I, um, I said I was really discouraged and wanted to talk with her. So she came over to my apartment, <clears throat> and we visited, and she said, Well, there's this, there's a, they're having a church meeting at Maranatha House. Do you want to go? And I said, Sure. And so we went, and um, <clears throat> the meeting was bad. And uh, it was a kind of a concert and type of thing, and it was really poor. And uh, we were just getting ready to leave, and <clears throat> Terry was embarrassed by the whole thing. She just wanted to get out of there. And so we reached for the door, and this, this older guy who kind of was overseeing Maranatha House stood up, and he said, if anybody wants to know anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'll be in the back. And so I just said, I do. And I went back to the dining room area, and they... This was a charismatic church, by the way, if you didn't already pick that up. <laughs> uh, so they, they laid hands on me, and they started praying and speaking in tongues. And, you know, I don't, I don't remember praying anything. <clears throat> but I do know that when they were finished praying, I wasn't the same person. I mean, I had been affected in some way. I don't know what actually transpired, but I had really been affected in some way. 
And um, so much so that I didn't even feel like I should drive the car back, the truck, little truck I had. So I asked Terry to drive. But before we got in the car, I said, um, <clears throat> you know, this is, I was feeling wonderful. And I said, I really want this to be real, Terry. I don't want this to be something artificial. I don't want it to be like when we used to do drugs and you'd be high and it felt so good and then you would crash the next day and you're back to reality. I didn't want that. I wanted reality. And uh, so she said, well, there's a verse in the Bible that says that if you ask for bread, he's not going to give you stone. So ask. Just ask. And so she started driving, and I started praying. And I just asked God to make it real, to make it real. And, you know, I don't know. When I read in the Bible about these visions that people had, in the, uh, the prophets had, have you ever thought about, was that something physical they saw? See, I didn't know. Because what happened to me that evening, in my mind, at least in my mind's eye, I just had my eyes closed and I was praying. And God came in a way that I've never experienced since. Um, <clears throat> it was so powerful. And uh, it, it totally shook me. I mean, I was, I have never cried like I cried that night. I was heaving and crying, just heaving. And what I saw in my mind's eye was a throne and me on my face before it. And two distinct things. This was before I knew any Bible at all. I was ignorant of the Bible. I knew nothing of the Bible. <clears throat> But two things stood out to me that evening. One, my unworthiness. And here I was, bowed down, and just seeing that overwhelming feeling of being unworthy. And secondly, my acceptance. I just felt like I was accepted. And I don't know how long that transpired. But uh, Terry may be able to give you more de details on that, but it was, it just seemed like a long time to me. And I, I was just so overcome with um, tears and gratefulness and just uh, wonder. <clears throat> and I smoked at the time. And I had tried quitting smoking. And just out of a habit, I regained my composure, and I reached in my pocket, and I put a cigarette in, and I lit up. And as soon as I lit it up and held it in my hand, I looked at my hand and said, this doesn't look right, and it doesn't feel right, and it doesn't taste good. <laughs> and I flipped it out the window. Yeah. <clears throat> Three times that night that happened. Time would go on, and we were talking, and I'd reach for another cigarette. Same exact feeling, same sense that this doesn't fit. 
I mean, it, I never touched another cigarette. I mean, as far as smoking a cigarette, never did. Um, it just was like immediate deliverance from that habit. Immediate deliverance from it. No desire for it. It was gone. <clears throat> now, other things have not gone as quickly as that. But that was a token. That was a token of God's grace to me. And we got back to the apartment. Terry said, I used to take sign language. <clears throat> and so I would, she had these Christ, Christian songs. And I like to listen to some of those. And so I would practice my sign language on these songs. And uh, she says, hey, I want you to, to sign this song. So I tr- I'd try it, you know. I couldn't get through it. I just start bawling. And then she said, well, here, read this verse. I'd try to read it. And again, I couldn't get through it. it just, I'd start reading it, and it just the reality of the verse would just pierce me. And I'd just start blubbering. And uh, she was having a good time with this one. Right? <laughs> but I was just, it, that went on, I don't know how long she stayed, and then she went back to Maranatha House. Prior to this time, I had a reputation among my friends of being what they would say is, Kelly's always a downer. You know, it's like I was always depressed and always in a bad mood or grumpy. And um, and the first, (laughs) this is so wonderful for me because it was, again, tokens of God. But the first two nights that I went to sleep as a Christian, I woke up in the morning with a smile on my face. It's only happened those first two days. <laughs> but again, it was a token. <laughs> but I just was, it was like I was changed. I was transformed. And I began going to this church that Terry was going to. And things were just alive. I mean, <clears throat> God was teaching me so much. I remember years after that, that first year of going to that, I only went to that church from January until September of that year. This was 1974. From, and I didn't even go that full time, but I went from January to September. And then Terry and I got married and moved out of Tucson. But in that period of time, God had helped me so much with my memory. I remember sermons, and I could go through sermons and give you the points of sermons just months later after I'd heard it. You know, it just it had such an impact on my life. And I began going to, I worked in a hippie shop. My friend owned a, a leather shop that was right at the main gate of the University of Arizona, so they had a lot of university business. And he made sandals and purses and belts. That was real big back then, to have these kind of leather shops. And so I, he hired me on to do some of the menial types of things. And I worked in that shop. And I just I remember I'd work, put my time in, and I'd try to work on some scriptures that would be thinking about. And then I'd go over to a Bible study. Then the next night there was another Bible study. And there was a church meeting. And it was like six days out of the week I was involved in something like that. It just I could not get away from it. It was just a thirst that I had that I'd never had before. And it wasn't anything coerced, 
nobody coercing me to go. I just had this desire. And so I did. And then we got married, moved to New Mexico for a year. And then a year later, we moved here. And it was in 1976 that Charles was on a walk, that we met Charles. And so... That's the story. You'll have to get my wife for more of the details. God is good, and he's faithful. And I think that the, the one thing that I, I take when I think about my testimony is that anybody who is serious about seeking God and is honest, God will hear their prayer. If they're serious and they're honest, God's not going to withhold from you. If you ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. 